Good evening. You are listening to the ENR podcast, the official podcast of the New Zealand Skeptics. I am Craig, and joining me this evening, I have Bronwyn. Yora. And Mark. Hey, how's it going? It's not going too badly. So I hear there's a bit of gossip about MLMs. Yes, yes. I have to say. Oh, right into it. I mean, I'm impressed. Susan keeps on picking the most boring MLM in existence because um, a competitor to um, comes from the heart or is it straight from the heart? I'm not an MLM member. Close to my heart. Close to my heart. Didn't even get it right either time. So the competitor to close to my heart is, um, or equivalent to it, is called Stamping Up. There again, another Utah-based MLM. Their focus is on stationary, but largely stamps. And and stamps aren't the kind of things that you put on an envelope and put it through the post. No, no, no. No, no, no. These are like decorative stamps. So the ones that you like press into ink and you use it for scrapbooking. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe um, Close to My Heart has stamps. I don't know. I'm not an MLM member like Mark, who should give us an update on his uh, <laughs> progress up the uh, up his astro astronomic rise up the ranks, maybe or not. Yes, I am a I am a prime level ambassador plus gold platinum already. <laughs> but anyway, stamping up is you know again another semi long lasting MLM. Um, it's been around since about 1988. Um, they are present in New Zealand. So for the next newsletter, I'm going to try to do a bit of a profile on them. But that's not even the most interesting thing. Um, if you follow true crime. And who doesn't? And, and who doesn't? Um, Me. <laughs> the, uh, one of the daughters of the co-founder of the MLM is her name, Shana Gardner Fernandez, um, has been formally charged with first degree murder, conspiracy to commit first degree murder, solicitation to commit first degree murder and child abuse, all related to the uh, February 2022 shooting death of her ex-husband, who was a former Microsoft executive. Wow. And that sounds so exciting. you have any backstory on this? To a degree. It seems that they sort of had a bit of a contentious marriage, contentious divorce. They were sharing custody of their twin children. Um, Shauna had gotten remarried to, um, again, the, her her new husband is a co-conspirator, had, has also been charged with the same amount of charges in this case. And yeah, apparently one day this um, Jared Bridegan was driving home. He had his two-year-old child with his new wife in the uh, car. And someone had placed a tire in the way. So he had to get out of his car to get the tire out of the way. And that's when he was murdered. And so that's they, where the, they and, put this tire on the road to. Yeah, the assassins or, you know, the people who, who who murdered him put the tire in the road. So he would have to get out and move the tire so he could drive into his driveway. And that's where he was killed. And the child abuse charge comes in because his two year old daughter had witnessed the crime. Wow. Mm. And so what's been happening since that murder is that the twins, who are part of both families, um, have been kept away, um, allegedly, by the grandparents, um, Shelley Gardner, who is, again, the co-founder of Stamping Up. No contact with either the stepmother or with um, their father's family. Now, because this is all happening in the U.S., and particularly because a lot of these um, charges were made in Florida, um, Shauna Gardner-Fernandez is being extradited to Florida, where they are going to be seeking the death penalty. Wow. This is what being an MLM does to you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, again, this is um, Utah. They're Utah Mormons as well. So (laughs) So I wonder what the motive was. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's 
plenty of stuff online. You don't have to tell me yeah, all the stuff. Yeah, but yeah. God, why couldn't they just share custody and all that? And why did it have what, yeah. what elevated it to requiring somebody to go and murder somebody? Well, you know she thought she's going to get away with it because she obviously didn't do it herself, but she hired some hitmen to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you guys follow in with the uh, next issue or the upcoming issue of the Skeptics Newsletter, I'll be able to tell you more. Oh, right. Oh, so you're writing an article that I can insert this weekend. Excellent. Yes. (laughs) Very good. But yes, as I said, Susan has chosen the most boring MLM. Well, until one of of them does something bad. (laughs) Well, she uh, could make it interesting. She could go on a murderous rampage in Auckland. (laughs) Don't give her ideas. (laughs) But but Mark, um, I mean, you know, given that you're part of Susan's downline, how has that been going? I am the entirety of Susan's downline, and uh, it's been not going at all. I think I got one email to say that I'd been demoted because I'd not sold anybody anything in a month or bought anything in a month. Oh, my God, that's brutal. That's so mean. They don't usually, I I mean, I guess they do tell people that they've been demoted. They had high hopes for you, Mark, and you've disappointed them. I probably did. I think I got an email. I I can't remember for sure, but I'm 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 fairly fairly certain something came in to tell me about my new position, uh, and I'm sure it's got a cute name as well. But yeah, I've still got my whatever forty five dollars or something to spend, so I need to go on that spending spree and find something cute enough to fit my cute personality. You mean all like four and a half googly eyes that you could afford? Yeah, it's not going to be googly eyes because they don't sell them, but it it's so cheesy. I mean, live, laugh, love is the least of it in that stuff. So I, I might try and find the cheesiest thing I can in their collection. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a nice introduction to MLMs, um, you know, a pretty safe one that definitely is no hard sell. But at least now I can say that technically I have been an MLM member. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, as long as you don't uh, bring out a gun and try and shoot somebody. And speaking of guns. Oh, my. One in the election. Too too subtle with these segues. (laughs) We always miss them. Oh, Liz Gunn. Well played, Craig. Well played. Oh, geez. So, yes, I wanted to talk about Liz Gunn, who used to be a TV celebrity, and I, I don't know whether maybe she's starved of attention or what, but she's she's now making YouTube videos. And there was a video a while ago where she made a big announcement. She's been into conspiracy theories in the last couple of years. She's been in the middle of some really horrible news stories with, you know, kids not getting the proper care that they needed at hospital and her injecting herself in the middle of it and things like this. But her announcement um, a month or so ago, which was made reluctantly, apparently, was that she never wanted to join politics. But so many people had been telling her that she is exactly what the country needs and that she just needs to stand up and be counted, that she announced that she'd started her political party, New Zealand Loyal, NZ Loyal. And since then, she's been slowly rolling out um, a few videos where she's been announcing some of her party's platforms. And she also recently announced some of her candidates. So she's got about maybe four or five candidates so far, of which one is one of the New Zealand skeptics' favorite people, psychic Jeanette Wilson. Not at all surprising to see her on the candidate list, to be quite honest. But Not, um, not, not just a psychic. She's a healer. But she's going to oh, have to put all psychic- that aside. 
healer. She put all that aside for in order to be an MP. She's an orb um, photographer. She is a she does um, what's it healing, doesn't she? She does the the psychic surgery. She's yeah. done that before, which is, I mean, obviously a total scam. You know, the idea that you can magically reach inside someone and pull out the disease bits is nonsense. And it's been shown time and time again that the people that do this, they just have uh, chicken parts and things like this palmed in their hands. And it's a little bit of sleight of hand. James Randi's done a very good job with that. Has she ever done it that way? Because I know that when she was claiming to be doing her psychic surgery, it was that she was consulting her spirit surgeons who were healing people. (laughs) I don't think, I don't know whether she's ever done that scam of, Doing delving into pulling someone. out the okay. intro oh, and stuff, but it wouldn't surprise me if she had because I know that she did spend time with John of God in Brazil, who right. was renowned for doing that. Well, yes, John of God actually visited Lower Hut. Oh, God, was it 10, 20 years ago? I think mm. we have the date in the calendar because I had to go find it on his old <laughs> website. Um, like there's like there's images, like there's pictures that have been taken of him um, visiting the hut. And there was somebody in Wellington, I believe, who was a big representative of John of God. All right. All right. All right. Back to the theme, because we have got so far off track already. That was impressive. But Liz Gunn and her political party. Now, she's been announcing these policies and we've got things like a one percent tax. Um, so it's going to be a transaction tax. She's going to basically nuke the entire inland revenue department. And instead, whenever a transaction is made, you just pay 1%. She has got some libertarian ideals. The more I've listened to her videos, the more it's like, we're going to get rid of departments or we're going to minimize departments. The government has no right to be telling you what to do in any sphere of life. Everything will be self-regulating because we're good people. We don't need big government telling us what to do. So this has been a whole bunch of a nonsense, but there's been another layer as well in the videos, which is the conspiratorial layer. And this has been coming more to the fore recently. It's been interesting to hear her talking about secret societies and conspiracies. And and so often as well, she keeps mentioning america it's like a lot of people who in other countries that aren't america who get into these things they can't help but reference the american story and and talk about american conspiracies as if we're living in america and we're just Mm. not and when they talk about all these things that are enshrined in the american constitution again it's like that's not new zealand law none of this is relevant to new zealand so she's been there but the one i picked up on the other day when i watched the video was when she was she mentioned a particular secret society that she was concerned was monetarily controlling the world that it had its claws in the um in the local treasury and around the world the fabian society and she made some quite surprising claims about the fabian society now i knew nothing about them so i had to go and look it up and find out what's true and what's not because it's like surely she didn't just make all of this up there's going to be some nugget of truth here so what i found first off was that the fabian society they're kind of interesting they've been around since the late 1800s i think it is and they were a left-leaning society people like george bernard shaw were famous members and their idea was that they could influence government policy towards their left-leaning beliefs and they could do it quietly and they could do it stealthily and they could just kind of do it 
over time that they could they could just quietly influence things. Um, and the name is part of this. Um, Fabian was a Roman general who, when he went to war, it was a war of attrition. He he used to wear his enemies down slowly, never going into a full battle until he was sure that his enemy was worn down enough that he had a certain win. So it was kind of just a, a slow grind of the enemy. And this was their idea, was that politically they were going to slowly influence people, quietly get them onto their side until it reached the point where they would be basically changing legislation through what they were doing. And so that that's where they come from. What Liz talked about was that basically they are one of the societies ruling the world, that they they have total control along with others. And I'm really looking forward to hearing who the others are. But she brought out a few points. Um, she brought out things like that they had a logo, which was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And it was, oh, that that sounds a bit evil if that's the case. I've got to look this up. And in this, she was right. Um, as I said, you know, the whole stealthy changing politics thing in the early days there, um, it was their coat of arms that they made is actually a wolf wearing a sheepskin um, on its back. And th this was their idea of they, they were going to do this stealthily. So that we give a point to Liz. Um, the second one I found was the creed. So she said that their creed was, Oh, that I could smash the world and recreate it closer to my heart's desire. Now, what I found was this is on a stained glass window, which George Bernard Shaw had made for the society in its early days, a window that was stolen um, a while ago and then ended up in an auction in Sotheby's, I think, which was a, an interesting little factoid. But when I looked at this stained glass window, at the top of it, there was the second half or a variation of the second half of this. The first half seems to be inferred within the stained glass window. There is a picture of a couple of people who look like they're smashing a globe. They're, they're smashing the world. So I can see how this is kind of inferred. And then the third part that she said was she said that their, their motto was hammer stoutly pray devoutly and she said that pray in this was spelt p-r-e-y so this is a society that's been preying on people and i love that one and i was like no that that one really can't be true and it was the same stained glass window if you if you zoom in on the stained glass window and you have a look somewhere in the middle she got the two bits the wrong way round. so it says pray devoutly hammer stoutly and sure enough it's p-r-a-y it's not p-r-e-y <laughs> the society was never admitting that it was preying on the public or anything like this so i mean what i don't get you know she's trying to be a serious politician and she's putting this stuff out publicly and it takes me a couple of minutes to fact check this and find that it's wrong now in the article that i wrote for the newsletter the one thing i could think is that she might be arguing that, well, yes, publicly they say it's P-R-A-Y, but secretly and private, the members all know that it's P-R-E-Y. And of course, when it's something like that where you can't disprove it, you can't even engage with it. There's no point arguing with something like that. But the facts that are available online show that in this one, at least, 
this is a misfact that she's picked up. And what I'm interested in with her, because she keeps talking about her team, how she's got a small but dedicated team that are working all hours and they're finding all this stuff out. I'm really interested in who these people are and where they're getting this stuff from. Because when it came to the the other slogan that that I said about smashing the world, the only place I could see that mentioned was on some evangelical Christian blog in America that was scaremongering that the Fabians are communists that are coming for us all. So it, like, did they read this blog or did somebody else make this up? Or maybe this conversation's going on in Telegram. Maybe it's not coming up in my Google search because it is happening behind closed doors in encrypted channels. But it seems like from everything she's been saying, it's not just her. There are other people who are members of her party who are working behind the scenes. And it seems like they're just a little group of people who are they're just believing some of the most weird conspiracy theories. And I think over the next month or two, we're going to hear a lot more weird conspiracy nonsense from Liz for all her talk about how she's going to run the country in a way that it's going to benefit everybody. I mean, that would never happen. Like you, you can't pick a set of rules that everybody benefits from. So for all of this, yeah, the reality is that she's got this very conspiratorial mindset. You know, she's talking about, we're going to have to leave the UN and we're going to have to give up this. And all this has got to be canceled. And we're just going to go our own way as a, as our own nation by itself it's just not the nature of the world these days. But yeah, I'm I'm really interested to hear her conspiracies. I, I think we're probably just seeing the tip of the iceberg at the moment. So I actually um, looked up on the Register of Political Parties in, uh, on the Elections New Zealand site, and actually New Zealand Loyal isn't listed as a registered political party at the moment. Well, maybe so... there's a bit of a lag. In one of her videos, she talked about how they had to get enough people to join. You need however many hundred people, 500, 500 people, people yes. who were registered members. So apparently they asked everybody for, could they become a registered paid up member? And they got enough people. Then they say that for some security reason or something, they had to separately ask them for their addresses and other details. I think they've just forgot to ask. Um, and then apparently, I think she said she got someone to drive down their application to Wellington from Auckland. Um, so they said they did make the deadline. I think it was not long before the deadline. Well, maybe. I looked up the deadline and according to the website, the last day for registration of parties and logos is Friday the 8th of September. So Oh, well, yeah, maybe it's, it's a weird different that, deadline It's then. weird hmm. that they're not registered already if she's claiming yep. to be a real political party, but then the urgency to drive down and meet some deadline when the website says Friday 8th of September seems a bit odd as well. So <sighs> who knows what's going on? I mean, it's but Liz, it would be so, a laugh you know. if it would be a laugh if she didn't actually get to be registered. <laughs> oh yeah! After all of that, if it ended up that the paperwork wasn't right and they didn't get the response in well, time, there's, or there's something. a conspiracy in the making. Uh, I'm sure there is. I mean, she's already talking in paranoid terms about how people are trying to shut her down, about how, you know, her videos keep getting, was it shadow banned and things like this? She she really believes that everybody's out to get her, that as soon as she announced this party, that she became attacked by the government. Well, it's- I watched I watched uh, Jeanette Wilson's video this morning of... Uh, her announce her, her candidacy for New Zealand Loyal. And so uh, Jeanette Wilson 
is under the impression that they're not just going to beat the 5% threshold to get into parliament, but they'll get enough votes to replace one of the major political parties. (laughs) (laughs) How's that for delusion? Yeah. Jeanette Wilson's connection with reality has always been a little bit tenuous. I mean, I just, I can never get out of my head how she was um, at the uh, protest last year in Parliament. Um, And there's an entire 45-minute video with Liz Gunn interviewing Jeanette Wilson about how badly the police treated her because it ended up that I think her collarbone was fractured. Uh, Was it the first Thursday, I think, where the the police tried to do a push to get people out and it didn't work? Um, Mm -hmm. And and in that one, of course, you know, in, in her telling, she's totally innocent and the police just maliciously went after. What she's forgetting to mention is that she was in the front line and she was telling the police that they needed to kneel in front of her and give over their lives to God. Um, (laughs) And she was, I mean, she was there in the front line, you know, she put herself right next to the police and then she's suddenly all upset when her collarbone gets fractured, when the police rush them. I mean, you know, she put herself in harm's way. You can't then complain. Well, you probably can complain when your collarbone gets broken. It's well, not she's, she's been to the, the police complaints authority and I, I haven't followed the details of the case, but she's certainly on her Facebook page making lots of noise about her complaint. And can she just yeah. conduct like psychic surgery to repair her bones? <laughs> You'd think so. You'd think so. I mean, and in you essence, know- right, you know, she, she spent her life basically taking people's money selling them a false bill of goods. She's been telling them she can do things she can't. She, Her entire career, for goodness knows how many years, has just been her taking other people's money um, for nothing, basically because she's lying to them. And, and as far as I'm concerned, that makes her a not very nice person. I mean, telling people you're a psychic and you're a this, that, and the other. And what she was selling some kind of healing device for a few yeah. thousand dollars a few years ago, Still wasn't is. she? It, Still like is. Everything new she puts her hand to is another bit of nonsense. Yeah, surfing her Facebook page is, is funny. I sort of thought the other day, there, I don't think there's a single conspiracy theory that she has not subscribed to. <laughs> well, maybe she's one of the people who is advising Liz Gunn on this, then. Maybe she is one of these trusted inner circle. Um, yeah, if so, then I feel sorry for Liz Gunn because she yes. is going to be so misinformed about everything. Well, it'd be it'd be interesting to ask Liz Gunn if she believes that that Jeanette Wilson has psychic healing powers. That would be a good test of how far down the rabbit hole she has gone if she were to answer yes to that, I think. All right, um, I am she taking does... that as a challenge, where if Liz Gunn comes to Wellington and gives a talk for her party, I am going to try and ask that question. <laughs> Do you believe that your candidate, Jeanette Wilson, has psychic powers? <laughs> If I were Liz Gunn, I would probably say, well, every every candidate has their own set of beliefs and strengths and stuff. So it's some sort of bullshit answer to wiggle out of having to say that you actually believe it. But she does seem to be very much have some sort of religious belief. Uh, at least that's what she professes. But then, of course, you can never tell from a politician as to whether it's sincere or not. Sincerely mm-hmm. held belief. And, you know, well, you may have a chance to ask that question if we go and see them in person. Yes. If they yes. tour, like they do with uh, like the T.O.P. and Brian Tamaki's Umbrella Party. We've been to those rallies. So I don't know. Would uh, Liz Gunn not do a rally? Yeah. I mean, th- th- that certainly 
it certainly is a good opportunity for challenging these people. I mean, if uh, if Jeanette Wilson is going to stand up as a candidate, then she really does need to front up to people and um, be asked the hard questions. I think the trouble a lot of the time with these kinds of things is that most people that get conned by someone like Jeanette Wilson, they're not loud about it afterwards. They're not shouting it from the rooftops. They're embarrassed. They go quietly. Mm. And so these types of scammers can get away with it a lot because nobody's willing to admit that they fell for it. Um, And it's a really hard one to get someone that's brave enough or stupid enough maybe to stand up and publicly admit that they were fooled. We could do with more people like that. We we kind of need to almost make people feel like it's okay to admit that you you were tricked into something silly. Good luck with that. <laughs> so I delved into the Voices for Freedom emails today just to see what they're up to, and uh, I found an interesting item. So uh, one of the things that they put in their latest email was they had this very emotive meme that says, uh, would the media care if we lost a plane load of passengers every week in New Zealand? And uh, so what they were referring to there is that recently Stats New Zealand have released the uh, latest figures on the number of excess deaths in New Zealand um, and also the birth rates, Um, and so uh, they were promoting an interview that Paul Brennan did on Reality Check Radio. So he seems to be the the regular breakfast announcer. So I had to listen to that interview, and he was interviewing Dr. Guy Hatchard. Now, (laughs) Dr. Guy Hatchard is a bit of an interesting character. He has this website called The Hatchard Report, and he has a PhD in psychology, but it's from Maharishi International University in Iowa, which is a supposedly a really it is an accredited university, but they they have some some interesting teaching techniques, uh, and a lot of it is sort of around consciousness. Um, and I, I clicked on the link and had a look at the video, and they have a, a bunch of students that they're interviewing. And uh, one one of the students was saying she was majoring in Vedic science. I thought that was quite interesting. <sighs> but anyway, uh, so the interview was kind of interesting. So what Guy Hatchard is saying is that Stats New Zealand have come out with these figures that saying that there's been a – a 10% increase in the number of people dying every year. So off the top of your heads, how many people do you think die in New Zealand every year? Now, looking up. Okay, so we have a population of 5 million, and let's say Mm -hmm. someone lives to an average to 100, just to make it really easy. We divide that by 100, and that would give us 50,000, but it's probably going to be a bit more than that. So I would say... 60,000 people a year. I would, I could say probably about 650 babies and 10 mothers die over the course of pregnancy to six weeks postnatal in New Zealand every year on average. Okay, so we're coming at it from both ends of the scale there. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, the actual number in New Zealand every year is around about 35,000 people dying every year. So you were kind of close, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> that was too specific. 60,000. I was double the number. I was way out. I well, mean, it was, way, it was way higher than 650 plus do, 10. Do, pe- do people go on holiday abroad to die or something? Why Why is it that low? Is it big? Be- oh, 
because of course our population keeps growing so most of our population is not old right most of our population is immigration or more children because of our growing population yeah okay that's yeah. fine anyway so so yeah so that's about the number of people that die every year in new zealand so what they're saying is that in the last 12 months an extra 90 people per week have been dying. And so <laughs> Guy Hatchard and Paul Brennan are trying to whip this up into a conspiracy. And surprise, surprise, it's the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. So these um, COVID vaccines are causing people to, to die early. And it was actually quite amusing listening to the interview because Dr. Guy Hatchard actually comes across as the more reasonable one, reasonable one, whereas Paul Brennan was the full-on conspiracy theorist and trying to blame everything on this conspiracy that the government knows about these dangers with the COVID vaccine, but is covering it up. And yeah, so it was quite quite funny, really. Brennan um, Brennan seems to do that, doesn't he? Brennan seems to be the one that's really pushing the guests. And there've been some, like I think it was Brennan that interviewed Seymour on Reality Check Radio, and David Seymour really pushed back. So it's nice to see when people do just not swallow his nonsense and end up saying stuff they might regret later. Yeah, I mean, he yeah he does seem to be well down the well down the rabbit hole and probably further than most of his guests. So. Uh, Guy Hatchard kind of trotted out this figure claiming that there had been leaked figures from the Department of Health saying there's been an 83% increase in heart attacks. Now, I couldn't find that anywhere online, and I went and looked on Guy Hatchard's website where he actually has this blog post that basically details everything he was talking about on the radio, and nowhere in there does it contain that figure. So to me, it sounds like he was just sort of trotting it out um, in the heat of the moment on the radio and, and not really being able to back it up. Um, what he also trotted out was that there was supposedly the study that's come out of Italy where there are uh, young adolescents who are now uh, turning up 12 months after their COVID vaccine and relapsing with myocarditis. Uh, and so I looked up that paper and uh, it, it, what, they're, what they're saying is in the paper totally misrepresented by Guy Hatchard, is that the very, very, very rare side effect of the COVID vaccine is the possibility of myocarditis. And so he's sort of spitting this up as a major revelation from these Italian researchers saying that here, here is this awful uh, outcome of having vaccines. Um, so he's a, he's a full-on anti-vaxxer. He, he's also concerned about the birth rate decreasing in New Zealand. Um, and it it sort of got into the territory of um, the Handmaid's Tale, really. It, it sounded like uh, there was all this concern about how uh, the birth rate is going to keep decreasing and, uh, and what are we going to do about it? Doom and gloom. Oh, no. So like in 10 years, New Zealand's just going to cease to exist. It'll be empty. <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows? But, yeah, so the government's not hiding this. You can go to the website and see the um, Stats New Zealand information and they've got a pretty good explanation for for some of the the reasons why these figures bounce around so but, I mean, Guy stats, but stats new zealand is the man you know <laughs> well why indeed. why are they gonna yes. why is any conspiracy theorist going to trust real data yes yes from the enemy but i mean it, it i mean just off the top of my head i can think of why this would happen i mean during the pandemic people were shut inside and um, people weren't exposed to me other people as often so they're not passing around 
um, these diseases that might kill older people or make them seriously ill. And so there's been some sort of a bounce back of after the pandemic, but now the people who actually aged more than they would have if they'd sort of died of natural causes during the pandemic are now sort of dropping off just from natural causes or, or, or sickness. And it's all the natural way of things. Yeah. And so, part of it's just what what are they comparing to? Are they comparing to just the numbers from the last two years? Is it the average of 10 years? Is it to, you know, 20 years ago, a single year's figures? What what are they comparing to when they get mm. this number of the excess? Yeah. So I think the concern here really is that um, the two of them on the radio for the casual listener trying to whip up uh, fear and uh, suspicion of the government basically promoting conspiracy theories and also obviously the the fear of the vaccine that there's somehow it's going to kill people off. <laughs> Brennan even said that um, he mistook one of the figures that that Hatchard was saying and uh, said, oh, maybe maybe all the all the early people have, have died off and now we're seeing this fall fall in percentage. And in fact it was a completely different percentage that he was referring to. So he was sort of had his full on conspiracy mindset of trying to make whatever he could out of this, out of these figures in order to make the government look bad or to make it look like this is conspiracy. Full on uh, promotion of misinformation. I think we will just have to watch how long Voices for Freedom is going to last because a lot of mainstream media, a lot of the big media organizations, they need ad revenue. That's where they make a lot of their money. And I've not seen an advert on Reality Check Radio yet. So I, no, I guess well, they started up their um, subscription service uh, yeah. a month or so ago. So you can pay $30 a month to be a subscriber. Um, from their reporting, they had a big discount to get people in. So 50% discount. And they had something like two and a half thousand people sign up. So two and a half thousand people sign up at $15 a month for the, for the bonus or for, for the promotional rate. That's about $36,000 of um, revenue a month. And I doubt whether that's going to go very far in paying presenters and yeah. running a and thing like that. After after the initial interest, you might find a bunch of people then drop off and stop paying their yeah. subscription after a few months when they realize that they can get the same thing for free. Why would they pay? Anyway, so I hear that the two of you went along to a very special service the other night. You want to tell yeah. us about that? Yeah, we went to – we well, Mark, Mark and our frequent contributor, Tim Atkin, have been to the Gnostic Mass how many times? Twice? Twice before. And do you, maybe do you want to give some context as what the experience has been like for you in the past? Because I mean, I think it really does color your uh, assessment of what the what what we experienced a few weeks ago. So, without giving the details of the service itself, yeah, the first time Tim and I went, it was a nice summer day, and um, when we turned up, there were a few other people around. Some people had flown down from Auckland, which was cool, and I think we ended up with maybe having ten or 12 people in the congregation, um, and the service went well. We went to the pub afterwards with everybody and had a chat. Uh, that was kind of nice, and they're, they're down-to-earth, friendly enough people. 
the second time Tim and I went, I think maybe it was autumn. And when we got there, we were worried we were late because there was nobody else waiting. And it's, oh, my God, everybody else is indoors. Um, And then the high priest came out and and looked at us and said, oh, uh, you're the only two here this time. Um, And so basically it was three people running the service and two skeptics as the entire congregation. And that was a little bit awkward um but i because we'd done it once before tim and i carried it off all right and and we you know we went through all the hand gestures we did all the chanting um because there were two females who were running it along with the high priest they were able to do the women's part there's like a man woman back and forth at the end um so it wasn't as uncomfortable as it felt beforehand like the the 10 minutes of sitting there waiting was just so excruciatingly painful but as soon as we got into the ceremony it was all good we just we just got on with it and it was fine but those two were both at the same venue um a venue in central wellington like a a hall that you can hire out which was very different to this time because this time we went out into the arse end of nowhere where you know people get murdered uh- <laughs> come on this isn't florida <laughs> well i mean that bride again got like murdered in his own like driveway in the middle of a suburb so uh you know you can, oh, right. uh, you can get murdered anywhere okay. um but i mean this was someone's private property so we're keeping the details pretty vague uh, for that reason. But yeah, no, and we waited for what about um, 15, 20 minutes outside with a bunch of, you know, there was more people. I think there was like 18 of us, 20 of us total. Yeah, 18. So they counted and there were 18 congregants. So it was a pretty good showing this time, including, again, some people, I think, that had flown down from Auckland for it. Mm. And, and, you and know, looking do at they know, the- do they know that you're skeptics? <laughs> No, not until Bronwyn mentioned it when we were having a chat before. <laughs> I asked how her weekend went and she's like, oh, well, you know, the, the skeptics in the pub last night. And I'm like, oh, no, don't say that. No. And he glared at me. And in my t- typical autistic fashion, it just blew, went over my head. I'm just. <laughs> but it's um, all right. I looked around and it looked like nobody had heard. So I, yeah. I think we got away with it. Yeah. Um, but I did check the um, New Zealand OTO website and they did have some pictures posted up from previous events. And some of the people who are in the um, gathering with us, I think, have been were part of the laity like they had previously acted as deacons, which was surprising um, when we consider what happened during the during the mass itself. Now, for people who haven't read the newsletter article, definitely suggest you do. There's lots of information about how the OTO started. Um, and we should say the OTO is the Ordo Templi Orientis. Orientis. It's an occult secret society, which is um, strong on the occult, strong on the society, but very, very weak on being secret. It's probably the best. It's no secret at all what's going on. Pretty much most of their texts have been published in one form or another. And but they it did start in Germany in the 1800s as a means for Freemasons in non-English speaking countries, and particularly German speaking countries, who were not part of regular lodges to get higher degrees and to do a bit more exploration into the magic that may not be um, studied or practiced in the more traditional Scottish, the United Grand Lodge of England, the Irish Irish lodges, etc. So basically, it was sort of another fraternal order. But what made the OTO interesting is that particularly their founder was very, very interested in sex rights and sex magic. Sometimes it does require, it does include the actual act of sex. Um, but other times sex magic is just about 
a lot of symbolism and the balancing of masculine and feminine energies. So it's like, here's my phallic sword and I'm going to stab it into this cup, which represents the womb. Like a lot of sex, sex magic rites are symbolic rather than literal. So again, OTO, very interested in sex rights, um, but also we're very keen on having women as members, which is a very, it's a big difference from traditional Freemasonry. There are practices of Freemasonry, like co-Freemasonry, which allow women, but that means that they are not a recognized lodge or they're called an irregular lodge. So if you're a member of a co-Freemason lodge, you cannot go to any of the actual official lodges. And as well, there are lodges that are especially, they're exclusively female, but again, they're right, they're what's called a regular lodges. So they can't do the regular Freemason thing. Anyways, I'm escaping myself. The big thing about the OTO is that Aleister Crowley was one of the most prominent members and had a really big hand in popular popularizing the OTO, bringing it over to the US and creating a lot of the rites and rituals of which the Gnostic Mass is sort of this cornerstone rite. And it's it's essentially a mass. It's a part, it's their public and their private ritual. As you learn more and you progress through the levels and ranks of the OTO, you learn different things about what's meant, to, what's happening in the mass. You know, it's a it's, little bit of magic. It's a little bit of um, calling to the dead. There's several things going on. So, so there's a whole bunch of hidden stuff on there, you know, things done a number of times and stuff like that. And what I've been told is pretty much everything in there is significant in some way. And as, as you progress, you learn more about the significance. But as, a, as an initiate, this is all hidden from you. You kind of you get some of the overt stuff, but a lot of it just goes straight over your head. So for the most part, the mass that we celebrated a few weeks ago is practically unchanged since, you know, when it was first written by Crowley in the early 1900s. Um, I think the only thing that changes, it's called the call to the connects, which is where they sort of start reciting all the names of prominent OTO leaders. And as prominent OTO leaders die, they are added to this list of names that are called out. But otherwise, it was an interesting ceremony. I mean, the people who are running it were very polite not a lot of instruction. Um, there was, a, I think the intent was that we would be doing all the particular hand signals. We would be standing in a particular way. That didn't really happen, did it, Mark? No, which was weird given that like a few of the people I saw there, I recognized from doing it before and the rest of them seemed to all know each other apart from, I think there might've been two newbies. So in the main, we were dealing with people for which this this is a thing they do. And yet they didn't seem to be very good at keeping up with what was going on. Like some of the hand signals we missed, um, a lot of the chanting and speaking, they didn't do very well, if at all. And when when we got to near the end, um, as I said, the point where it was men saying a line and women saying a line, it turns out at that point, most people had a program where they'd screwed up and not printed the front and back covers. And the back cover had the end of the ceremony. The only three people that had a copy of this, the three skeptics in the room. So basically everybody else was silent. And it was me, Bronwyn and Tim carrying the entire damn service at the end, doing a men's and women's chant back and forward, which it's slightly better than being the only two people in the congregation altogether, but still a little bit weird. Yeah, particularly as like the only woman who was reciting and people were looking at me and I'm like, this is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the ceremony's got some cool things. It's got like a couple of bowls on little plinth sitting in the middle and they do circuits around it at a certain point there's a coffin at one end of the room that looks kind of funny um there's, there's they do sort of a really nice incense thing where they're going around the room in a certain pattern it smelt nice i guess one thing mark you didn't quite you kind of thought was a little bit funny was that 
was the fact that we were in a shed. It was a corrugated iron shed, presumably for shearing sheep or something. It just felt so rural and, and you know, it, it's a farm setting. It was kind of weird to me. Yeah. But having looked at some of the other altars and spaces that other OTO groups have used around the world, not the fanciest, but not the worst. They did. They tried to keep. They made it. They kept. Tried to keep it warm. Um, they had carpet on the floor, but I mean, we're still kneeling for certain parts of the ritual on concrete. But you know, the altar was pretty on point. I mean, the altar was is pretty is one of the things that was pretty consistent to what I've seen worldwide. They had a velvet screen, or I should say, um, velvet curtains. They had some plants. It gave it a bit of a vibe. You know, it wasn't, so the- it's not a scary thing to do. The priestess at one point, she's behind the curtain on the altar. They close the curtains and then later on they open it. And the previous ones, the when they open the curtain, the big reveal is that she's totally naked. This time, and I don't blame her at all, she was wearing a robe. I mean, she was naked underneath it and it was kind of open at the front. But yeah, I, I do not um, mind at all that she decided that she wasn't going to get fully naked because despite the fire in the corner, that shed was freezing ass cold. And I mean, you know, again, nothing that we're talking about here. We're not blowing the lid on the secret organization. The Gnostic Mass has actually been recorded a couple times, and I've included a link in my article, so you can go and watch it. It may be a little less nudity, but it's there. I mean, there's no, as I said, there's no secrets. I don't think people are watching this for the nudity. <laughs> you can get that anywhere on the internet. Yeah, it's, I mean, pretty low grade. But I mean, this is something to accredit to the group, to the deacon, I suppose. Um, he was trying to make sure he wanted to reach out to anyone who hadn't attended a Gnostic Mass before, just to make sure everyone was au fait about here are the things that you, you know, that may be a little bit unsettling or maybe a bit surprising that happened during the Mass. And the nudity is one of them. Hmm. And Bromin, you made a really good comparison. So we, with these events, we tend to go <laughs> to the pub afterwards and have a debrief. And Bromin made a really good comparison with um, sex magic from uh, Haydn Temple and, and the kind of Ister people abroad as well. And the fact that even though they are explicitly dealing with sex and, and the kind of stuff all the time where consent is really important, so often with that group, it's very much implied and people are getting into this without knowing what they're going to get. It's a surprise for them. You know, they've paid X thousand dollars for the course, and but they don't know what's going to happen to them sexually. Whereas with OTO, it seems like they're very good at letting you know exactly what you're getting yourself into and making sure that you have explicitly consented to it beforehand, which is great. Mm -hmm. There's so few groups Mm -hmm. that do that, you know, and and particularly I think with the reputation that Aleister Crowley has, it's really easy to tar OTO with the same brush as the most evil man in the world. And that's not how this group operates. They operate pretty much above the board. Yeah, and it's the kind of stuff that looks scary to to Catholics and other Christians when they look at this occult ceremony with the black coffin and the the Egyptian stuff on the altar with the candles burning and the naked priestess. You can see, oh my God, it's satanic, it's demonic. Oh no! But, but it's I mean, quite theistic, you know. In many ways, it's very much about you know they're not talking explicitly about heaven and hell, but there is acknowledgement of a god or a god power. Mm. So what what are people? showing up are actually expecting to get out of this is it just like a church service that you go along and it's, it's, it's a mass supposedly like it, worship i mean presumably there's no sermons no there's I, I no guess, sermons no. It's, it's 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 pretty much the same ceremony has been celebrated since as i said the 1900s it's like a social thing you know you're getting mm. together with all your other um adepts and initiates and practitioners um 
you know, if you think it's going to be a little bit spooky, you know, you will have again outsiders such as Mark and myself and Tim, who will go for a bit of a bit of a looky loo. It's it's the stuff that looks scary to anybody that you know believes in spirits because it'll mm-hmm. it'll look like it's evil. But they're right. just having fun. They're just you know they're enjoying themselves. They're connecting to what they feel is spirit is the the metaphysical world. Um, and I guess it's just a bit of grounding for them to be, as Bronwyn says, to socialize and be connected to other people in the group. Mm-hmm. Mm, very weird. Yes. And I guess, no, I mean, kind of no weirder than a, than a Catholic communion in some ways. I mean, you know, there's weird ad stuff there, right? You know, the, um, well, the communion way for this... actually turning into the body of Christ, like that's not happening. This Gnostic, the Gnostic mass is actually very much based on a cup on a Catholic ritual as well on a, one of the Catholic mm, mass. So, right, yeah. I mean, you know, you really aren't far. It's, it's probably more Christian influence than people actually want to admit. Okay. One thing I realized I did want to see, and I, I really hope somebody does this one day, is there's a point at which there's a bowl and salt is sprinkled in the bowl. And I want to see someone do it salt-based style. I want to see someone bounce it off their elbow into this bowl because I think that would just that would go down really well in this ceremony. Sure. But maybe I'm hoping for too much. Maybe that would be too irreverent. <laughs> yeah, no, they they were pretty serious. And a little, yeah. and it was, I mean, it was a kind of sexy ritual. Like, I mean, you can see how people would look at the Gnostic Mass as being <clears throat> a variation of sex magic. They are taking themselves seriously. They're not. Yes. No, absolutely. It's not just a joke. But yeah, I mean, look, total honesty here. I got a little bit turned on this time. It's my third time. <laughs> and I was able to relax into it a oh, little bit more I'm gonna than have to before. Cut I'm going to have to cut that bit out. Our listeners sure, do not want sure to imagine you getting... Being a little bit turned on. I'm sure people will be fine with this. But yeah, so there's a point where um, the priestess, she strokes... How I've seen it before, it's basically... A, it's a large wooden rod. It's um, like a spear. This it's, time it's it was deliberate. a sword. It's a deliberate it, it, symbolism. Yeah, but it was quite sensual and yeah, I mean, just just for a moment, I felt, you know, a little bit of a stirring in my loins. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to put a special tag on this podcast and say erotic <laughs> content. R18. <laughs> but I, I thought that was really well done of them. The fact that they enlisted that from me, I mean, they, they were doing a good job. <laughs> from you, Mark. Oh, yeah, no, not that I'm hard to turn on or anything. Probably quite the opposite. But anyway, I'm, uh... I'm talking too much. Let's, let's just move on. Where do we go from there? <laughs> uh, well, we went to the pub. And, yeah, that's uh, what we did. <laughs> yeah, right. it was uh, it was really nice just to chill out. It always is nice if, if for anybody that's doing this kind of thing. I definitely recommend going and having a debrief afterwards. Just being able to chat with others about what you just experienced mm-hmm. can be really helpful. Yeah, well, mm. I mean, we do we you know we do it all the time because we go to various different groups. Um, you know, when we go to church services or to you know arise, same thing. We'll go for a lunch afterwards and just be like, well, what was that? You know. <laughs> Make it apart. It makes me wonder what the people who were there and taking it seriously do afterwards. Like, do they just all jump in their cars and go back home, or uh, do you think they're heading out to the equivalent of a debrief session? We left early. We decided to uh, right. We decided to bounce. Made our excuses because it sometimes with this kind of thing, when you're a skeptic you're worried about being asked questions that you're going to have to make up answers on, you know, how did you get into Alistair Crowley in the first place? And what attracted you to OTO? And you can't say I'm a gawker. I'm here to write an article about it. That, that won't go down very well. So sometimes it's easier. <laughs> I, to make get your my, I get my jollies coming along to these. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so sometimes sometimes we'll stay. It, it just depends on the scenario. So with this one, we made our excuses and left, but they they did say that most other people were going to stay around for a couple of glasses of wine. So they had like a, a fire pit there um, just to keep people warm outside of the venue. There was like a like a big carport um, and they were inside that. So they were going to all sit around and drink some wine and make all their clothes smell of smoke while they chatted. So we left them to that. As I said, the first time um, we went to the pub afterwards, we went to the Southern Cross and we did socialize and that was really enjoyable. The second time, given that it was just me and Tim, we made our excuses and vamanost as quickly as we could because just the two of us, like there's no escaping the spotlight if you're the only two people there. So yeah, we, we definitely ran away then. But the people are really nice. They're really friendly. If it wasn't for the fact that we're kind of undercover in a way, I, I definitely want to stay around and have a chat with them. I think, that, you know, it's always going back to the thing that we said at the last podcast. I mean, this is not a cult. Uh, you know, they can very much take you or leave you as you are. There's no high pressure tactics to join. Yeah, it's just a very it's it, they're nice people. It's a nice experience. Um, nicer than I think some people would yeah, expect if they have a lot of biases against the occult or against esoteric groups. Hmm. Right. Isn't that surprising for a skeptic to say, I suppose? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So and we're still alive. That, so is it that your last visit well. or do you think you'll go back again? I want to attend a solstice and then I think, you know, we would have yeah. had the experience. Because we've been so I've been to an online meeting at the beginning of covid about incantations and we all went to a few of us in wellington skeptics we went to a guided meditation session that was actually really good fun i really enjoyed that i'm not into meditation but there was something we had like a bit that was music a bit that was someone reading a story where we had our eyes closed we had to imagine us being in this story and you know we were told you get on a boat and you go out to an island in the middle of the lake and that was really really chilled out and i absolutely loved it though i mean with the guided meditation i'm not sure if you'd call this person a pick me girl or not like any other girls but they were constantly saying oh yeah this guided meditation didn't work for me i didn't visualize that i didn't visualize the water i didn't visualize the boat there was one contrarian that was just unhappy with everything that happened in that session, but the rest of us enjoyed it and chilled out. So we've done a few things. I mean, I might be up for a solstice as well, but I'm worried that the more we do it, the more we might be asked questions about, so why are you here? And it, it, I feel more and more as time goes on, like I'm imposing and I don't want to. They're a group that are keeping to themselves and they're no harm to anybody. And the more I do it, the more I start to feel a little bit guilty about it. Hmm. Right. So Mark has a threshold for how long he will go and visit a group. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I did. And, you know, I did Eastern Lightning for six months. And I think most groups are horrible. And so, like, I, I don't have to worry about that kind of thing because they're doing horrible stuff. And I can I can push boundaries quite happily. But this group is not doing anything horrible. Um, and so, I, I yeah, I, I think there is a limit when it's like that. Turns out you learn mm. something every day. So what have we got coming up on the calendar? A few things, actually. So this Friday, August 25th, we have the regular Wellington Skeptics in the Pub meetup at the Lobby Lounge inside the Intercontinental Hotel. That'll begin at six o'clock. Then we will have the following week on August 31st on the Thursday is the science-based healthcare activism in the pub. That's going to be at the Fork and Brewer. And that begins at 6.30 p.m. And then on behalf of the Dunedin Skeptics, 
Um, this isn't until September 14th, but at Thursday, 8 p.m., they are meeting at Umbrella's Kitchen and Bar in Dunedin. And there will, of course, be an Auckland Skeptics in the pub on Tuesday, the 5th of September at the Dyson Fork. I uh, ran into uh, somebody who used to come along to Auckland Skeptics in the pub uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, they commented they might be able to come along again. So nice. it would be nice to see them. Yes. And uh, the conference website is actually looking pretty good now. So the conference is in November 24th to 26th in Dunedin. Now's the time to get in and buy your tickets. The, and the website uh, address is conference.skeptics.nz. .nz, that's correct. Yep. Uh, so we've got most of our speakers up there and we're just uh, getting the topics of their talks and we'll put that up on the website as well i have uh, to say we've... i i think you are uh an hour for the live podcast recording there craig that's uh wishful thinking uh we're, we're not certain about whether we're going to be doing that um because we've got potentially another speaker coming in so we're not sure whether we'll be able to fit the uh, podcast recording in at least not in the main uh, part of the the conference, so that's oh my god, we'll yet you to see. We might be bumped for an yeah, actual we're, we're speaker. Like we're, we're we're first on the line for being bumped. I would have thought we would have been top billing, but no, it turns out we're we're right at the bottom of the heap, huh? No, <laughs> but maybe we can do an evening thing, or maybe people can come to our Airbnb and listen to us record in private, um, or maybe we'll do it on the street and just busk recording the podcast. Ah. <laughs> uh... Right in okay. front of the um, Theosophy Hall, if it's still up. <laughs> All right. But anyway, yes, we've got some some really good speakers. And on the next podcast, we're hoping to have one of our international guests uh, talk to us. So we're going to interview her. That's uh, Melanie Tresick king who I'm only guessing at the correct pronunciation of that last name. But um, no doubt we'll we'll find that out in the next podcast episode. We'll we'll ask her to pronounce it. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, are we done? I think we are. Oh, just just quickly. Um, I'm I'm in the middle of being scammed at the moment. So next newsletter from me. Um, hopefully you'll be able to read a how scams work. Some of these online crypto weird scams, and B. Hopefully you'll hear that I didn't actually get scammed and hand my money away. Speaking of crypto. Mm. I read a really good article today uh, by a New Zealand reporter. I know his last name is Sahin. I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name, but it was yeah, it was a really good, sensible look at at the, the crypto in New Zealand. Uh, it was actually in the Herald. It's called. Uh, it's titled "Is New Zealand Really Missing Out on by Out by Being Cautious with Cryptocurrencies?" It's a really, really good look at how it's been good that we've actually been cautious about it and haven't rushed into it and how there's this advisory group that seems to be uh, very much pro-cryptocurrencies and wants to make sure there aren't too many regulations and stuff. And yeah, oh. it's, uh, but what I'll, um, I'll put that in the, in the notes. Please uh, do. Cause really I, I would to love to read yes. that. Yeah. Anyway, awesome. you have been listening to the Yena podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can do so by sending us an email to podcast at skeptics.nz. Yes, we got it right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm reading off my script now, you see. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't care how you do it, just as long as we use the podcast email address. Thank you. All right. We will see you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Kakite. Kakite.